Please stand with me again as I read from Habakkuk 1, verse 12 to 2, verse 1. Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One? You will never die. Lord, I have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to, pun them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You have made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures they ha that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with his hooks. He catches them in his net and he gathers them up in his dragnet. And he, so he rejoices and is glad Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying the net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. We'll look to see what he will say to me, what answer I am to give to this complaint. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be together here. Thank you that we can worship you in our words, in our, in our voices. And thank you that we can continue our worship as we sit under your word. And I pray that you would show us what you want us to hear, that you would prepare our hearts to hear it, and that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each of us. And uh, we just praise you that you are God. And Bless our, our time in the Word right now. Amen. When Jimmy was a little boy, he uh, wanted to be a cowboy. He w would watch old shows like Bonanza and Gunsmoke, these, uh, these stories about cowboys. He had dreams of being uh, owning a ranch, of being on a horse with a cowboy hat, and just running the range like his uh, cowboy heroes. He was seven years old when he came to his dad and he said, Dad, I want to be a cowboy. Will you help me be a cowboy? And his dad looked down at his precious little boy and said, Sure, son, of course. Well, Jimmy grew up and that dream began to fade and he started to be interested in girls and sports and studying and preparing to go to school to get an education at a good college. So he came to his dad and he said, Dad, I want to go to college. Uh, will you help me go to college? Will you help pay for it and help me pick it out and all that? And his dad looked at him and said, Son, you can't go to college. When you were seven, you asked to be a cowboy. So I went to Texas and bought a ranch, 50 head of cattle. This is yours. You, we, there's no money left, and you got to run the, the ranch. You can't go to college. Jimmy looks at his dad. Well, Dad, I was a kid. I didn't know what I know now. Now I want to go to college and get a good education. Sometimes we wonder why God isn't answering our prayers the way we ask them, the way we imagine. And I think a lot of the time it's because we're like Jimmy. We're God's kids. We don't have the perspective to know what's best for us. Last week we talked about how God is always challenging uh, and um, making our, our, our 
perspective bigger. He's expanding our understanding of who he is. And we don't see the picture, the full picture like he does. We don't know the whole story and how every detail affects all the other details, how little decisions affect the people and circumstances around us, but a rippling effect beyond that. There was a husband and wife who, before they got married, decided how they'd make decisions. They said he would make the major decisions and she would make the minor decisions. They were married 20 years and someone asked, so, how did that go? They asked the husband, how did that go? He said, it's great, I've never had to make a decision. <laughs> the minor decisions really matter. Minor decision, most of life is about the minor decisions. The minor decisions tweak the trajectory, but all these minor decisions add up to make you in a place in life, and often it's not the major decisions that, that determine things, it's the series of minor decisions. Minor decisions are much more important than we realize. We learned in chapter one that Habakkuk decided to pray. He made a decision to praise. He looked around at the corruption that was going on in his land. He prayed. He asked God, please help us, save us from all this corruption that's going on. And he prayed and he prayed and nothing happened as he looked around. But what he decided to do, he didn't decide to give up. He didn't decide to say, God doesn't care. I, I don't think he's the right God, I'm going to turn to another God. He decided to keep praying and to ask God, why? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you hearing? Why? How long is this going to happen? Part of the reason why we titled our sermon series, Better Bitter, A Contrast of Two Prophets, is because both Jonah and Habakkuk were confronted with God not being God the way they thought he should be God. They were both unique in how they interacted with God. Uh, most of the prophet books in the Bible are about God bringing a message to the people through the prophet. Jonah is still a message through the prophet, but it's about his story. And Habakkuk is bringing a question to God on behalf of the people rather than God bringing a message to the people through the prophet. So they're both unique among the prophets, and they're both confronted with God not being God the way they think he should be. But that's where the similarities end. Because Jonah, he's confronted with God saying, asking him to do something that he doesn't like, that he doesn't want to do, that he doesn't think is right, and he runs. So he's confronted with God not being the way God should be, and he runs the other way. He runs away. And he doesn't want to face that he might be wrong in his thinking, and so he keeps running, and the end result is bitterness. Last week, we saw that, that Habakkuk, he was asking these questions, and he asked why, and um, we saw that God did answer his questions, but his answer wasn't anything like Habakkuk had expected. Habakkuk wanted to God to save Judah, Judah from all the corruption and the wrongdoing. He wanted the leaders that were corrupt to be judged and the oppressed to be set free. But God's uh, answer was, was different than what he was expecting. And so Habakkuk is wondering, God, what, what's going on? Why are you not doing what you should do? He's come face to face with God not acting the way he thinks God should act. And that brings him to another point of decision. He's obviously carried some doubts 
about God because he hasn't seen God working. That's why he asked why. Well, now God answers with a totally different response than he was thinking this good God would answer. And he has even more doubts. So God just told him that he's going to use a more corrupt nation to judge his corrupt nation. So again, Habakkuk has some choices. He could be like Jonah and he could run. Many people are confronted with God not being God the way they think he should be, and they they run away. He could choose not to believe God anymore. He could let his doubts simmer and be like, I don't even think God is God. And this is something that many people today do too. We're confronted with God not being God the way we think he should, and we start to wonder, is he trustworthy? And so, Maybe he isn't God if he's not trustworthy, and it seems logical to follow this way of thinking. It it makes sense to us. If God's not being God the way he should be, is he trustworthy? Is he even God? Maybe another God is the right God. Or maybe there is no God. Habakkuk, in contrast to Jonah, he doesn't run from God. He doesn't choose not to believe God. He chose to keep coming to God, to be honest with God, to wait for God and be willing to let God transform the way he's thinking. To realize that he might not know everything that he thinks he does. He chooses to be humble before God as someone who recognizes that humans have a very limited perspective and only God sees the whole thing. And the way he prays is a a great example. It's great instruction for us on how to pray in general and also especially if we're struggling with doubt about who he is and how he's acting. So first, Habakkuk comes to God with a description of who he is. He, he, this indicates some things about how he prays. He, he knows scripture. He knows who God is from his study of scripture. He brings characteristics that he's read about in the word to God saying, this is who you've revealed yourself to be. Uh, The only way to know God is to know his word. And so he's steeped in the word. And he brings God descriptions of who he is right from what God's revealed in his word. And this is praise. When we bring uh, characteristics to God about who he is, we're praising him. We're praising him for who he is, but we're also reminding ourselves about, and we're reminding God of who he's revealed himself to be. So Habakkuk, he's recognizing, he's acknowledging, and he's praising God as he opens his prayer. This is very biblical, uh, and is very in accordance with how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus taught us in Matthew, um, in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And it starts off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. These are all uh, descriptions of who God is. We start and open with prayer. I've found that beginning my times of prayer by praising God in accordance to what I've read about him in the Bible, it really helps set my perspective as I prepare to pray about the things on my mind. And it sets my perspective and helps me pray more in line with, with his will. So what Habakkuk does is he reads the Bible, he notices words and descriptions about who God is, and he brings them to God, and, uh, and he praises God this way, and he reminds God of who he is. And so praise, in praise, we're, we're not just 
acknowledging God, but we're also being reminded and being reoriented of our, of our understanding of who he is. We're focusing our attention in the right way. C.S. Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Praise, it's not just for God's enjoyment. It's also for us. It, it affects us. It informs us. It brightens our thinking. So in the context of better, bitter, this is a step towards better. Habakkuk, he comes to God with characteristics. And the characteristics he brings, one of the characteristics he brings is the covenant name of Yahweh. This name that God revealed to his covenant people right at the beginning of his relationship that he was beginning with them. So uh, God called Moses to the burning bush. And, and he said, you're going to go and bring my children out of slavery. And Moses is questioning God. Why, how can I do this? I'm not ready. And, and finally he says, well, who am I going to send? Or who am I going to say sent me? And God says this in Exodus 3, 14 to 15. He said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, and this is in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God revealed himself as I am who I am, and he used this, this Lord, all capitals. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's how the translators translate this name Yahweh. And Yahweh is using the same verb, a different form, but uh, the same verb of to be, that I am who I am is. So what Habakkuk is doing, because he's using the all capital Lord, he's bringing God this name that he has revealed to his people that he's in a covenant relationship with, and it's a personal name. And it's also a reminder that he's always present. And so Habakkuk is praising God and he's reminding God with this very personal and intimate name that he is intimate and personal with his people. And then he repeats the personal aspect, but he makes it even stronger by saying, my God. So Habakkuk, he's reminding himself, he's reminding God that he's not talking to some God who doesn't care. He's talking to a God that is intimate and personal and invested and promised to care for his people. And he describes further this personal God. He says, you're everlasting, you're holy, you're one who never dies, you're my rock, you're pure and can tolerate no wrongdoing. These are all descriptions that he has of God from his study of the word. So Habakkuk is bringing these things to God, but he's bringing characteristics that's going to be in line with what he's asking. It's, it's, he's, he's starting to wrestle with the God that he knows and what's going on. So he says, he, he understands that God is everlasting, the one who never dies. He sees the bigger picture. Habakkuk recognizes that, that he's finite, God's bigger. But his struggle is that God is pure and he's holy and he doesn't tolerate wrongdoing. So how could he allow this terrible nation of Babylon to come in and conquer his people? Yes, his people are corrupt, but to use a more corrupt nation from Habakkuk's point of view as this God who's supposed to be good and holy and without wrong, how could he, he's just not doing what Habakkuk thinks this kind of God should be doing. 
a lot of people struggle with God not, or God doing the opposite of what they think or not doing what they think he should be doing. And often we choose to engage in prayer, but we pray kind of like a business associate that I, that I read about. This business associate decided that I, I, I need to lose a little weight. So he set a diet and he was very uh, committed to this diet. And so committed that he would change his route that he drove on his way to work so he wouldn't drive by his favorite bakery. So he was committed. Several weeks went by. He was doing well on his diet and his colleagues knew about it. He came into work one morning with this big coffee cake under his arm. And the business, uh, his colleagues were like, what's going on? You know, they were kind of reprimanding him because he, they, he wanted to be held accountable to his diet. And he smiled and he said, you know, I accidentally drove by the bakery this morning and I thought, this is actually no accident. I, th- I saw those goodies and I thought, maybe God wants me to, to, to have one of those. And so he prayed, Lord, if you want me to have one of those delicious coffee cakes, please make a, a parking lot open right in front, a parking space right in front of the bakery. This is a familiar kind of prayer, isn't it? Well, he said, on the eighth time around, it was there. (laughs) It's tempting to submit to God with our words, to actually fool ourselves into thinking that we're trusting God while we're actually managing the situation to get what we want. Like the business associate who prayed for this specific parking lot. He knew that if he went around enough times, it would open up. But he... He kind of couched it in, I'm waiting on God. Habakkuk, he's not doing that. He's demonstrating true humility and true curiosity before God. He's not trying to manipulate or control God. He's really struggling to understand God. He explains who God is in his praise, and then he lays out the discrepancy he sees. And in, that's in verses 14 through 17. He, he uses a metaphor. He's, he's saying Judah and the other nations are, are wandering around like fish without a leader. Our leaders are so corrupt. It's like we don't have one and we're just floundering. And so Babylon sees this and takes advantage of, us, of it and comes in like a fisherman with nets and hooks and pulls us out without any worry of harm to himself. And then Babylon worships not God, but his nets. The, 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 the things that he thinks makes him rich and successful. So Habakkuk lays out the question, God, when will it end? Will Babylon keep on destroying without mercy? The dilemma for Habakkuk is that he knows God sees the bigger picture. He's recognized that in his praise with everlasting, the God who never dies. But to Habakkuk, these, the answer of these Babylonians coming in how could a good and holy and pure God allow such wrongdoing? Even as it seems like God's approving of immorality. How could a good God allow this to happen at all? And will it keep on ending, happening? Will it ever end? So Habakkuk begins, with answer, begins his prayer with praise. And then he lays out his understanding of what's happening. And then he presents his dilemma and his question. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he sets himself up to wait and to watch. The military, or the metaphor here is of a military watchman. They would stand on the tower above the city and watch. 
They would look passive, but they'd be alert and aware and they'd be watching for any enemies approaching so that if they saw movement, they'd figure out if it's the enemy or not and they would sound the alarm right away. So they had to be very alert, very aware and watchful. Habakkuk is using this metaphor as, um, as what he's doing to be alert and aware and ready for God's answer. So he was metaphorically stationing himself to see and to watch and to listen and to be aware of what God might do. On a cool October afternoon in 1982, Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin was packed. More than 60,000 fans packed those stands as they were waiting for or watching their football team take on Michigan State University. And the state's football is, is really big. So, uh, they were there to watch the, their, their Wisconsin team, but it became clear that Michigan State University, the visiting team, was the much better team. And as the score became more and more lopsided, as Michigan State um, kept on scoring touchdown after touchdown, there were still people cheering and celebrating in the stands. These Wisconsin fans were celebrating at really weird times, and they were wondering, people were wondering what's going on. Well, it turned out that 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 3 of the 1982 Baseball World Series. And so many of the fans in the stands, they were listening to portable radios and responding to something that wasn't actually right in front of their faces. Habakkuk, like the fans in the stands, is tuning into an alternate reality, that this reality that exists, that God is speaking, but it's not visually right there in front. He's tuning in and listening for the voice of God. There was a play producer named Jed Harris. He thought he was losing his hearing. He was becoming more and more convinced that he, that he, that he wasn't able to hear it. So he went to the doctor to get a thorough checkup. The doctor took out his, his uh, gold watch and he said, can you hear this ticking? It's like, oh yeah. So he walks to the door and he says, now can you hear it? And Mr. Harris uh, listened intently and, yep, yep, I can hear it. So he walks out down the hallway to another room and he's like, can you hear it? And he concentrates, yeah, I can hear it. The doctor walks back in and he says, Mr. Harris, there's nothing wrong with your hearing. You're just not listening. Habakkuk, he's intent on paying attention, on listening, on being watchful for God and what he might say. If you've watched any of our coffee talks over the last month or two, you've been hearing us talk about what have you seen God doing? And the idea is that we want to be more aware of what God is doing because he is at work all, at work all around us. We just aren't listening. And when we stop to listen, when we are aware, we can notice more about what he's doing. Habakkuk calls it watching. It's the same idea, being aware, listening, watchful. There's a pastor in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, who gives a good description of watchfulness. He says, watchfulness means we lay hold of every resource God has given us so that the reality of God stays clear in our hearts and our minds. I'll read it one more time. Watchfulness means we lay hold of every resource God has given us so that the reality of God stays clear in our hearts, in our minds. One of our most 
valuable resources. The, one of the, 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 the resource that he gives us that we really understand who God is is Scripture. We've been talking about that. How Habakkuk knows the Scriptures. He brings it before God. And, and that's our most valuable resource for being able to understand who God is. As we read it, we understand how he acts, who he is. And if we're not reading it, we, how, how will we understand? I, I live with my wife, and if I'm, if I hadn't, if I, since I've lived with her and talked to her and study what she's like, if somebody tells me that she said something and I'm kind of like, ah, that doesn't sound like Cheryl, I, I almost immediately know that come from her or didn't. The idea is that we know Jesus we know God so well from our study that when we see something going on around us, we're able to say, that's, that's him at work. So we're trying to be watchful about what God's doing. The last phrase of verse 1 in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, um, it, it indicates that part of his watchfulness, as he was continuing to contemplate his own understanding, uh, He's, he's contemplating how he might respond, how, how he would be ready with the right attitude to accept what God's saying properly. And the best illustration of this, this kind of attitude of being willing to accept what God says, is the prayer that Jesus prayed the night that he was betrayed before he was going to be hung on the cross. He knew his death was coming. He had lived the perfect life. He was watchful of what God was, his father was doing around and joining him in it. He was obedient. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the culmination of his life's work was, was the climax was coming in his death and the next day. And, and as, he, as he was thinking about that, he was human and he was, he was anticipating the betrayal, the pain, the suffering, not only the physical suffering of his body being broken and blood being spilled, but also of being spiritually separated from his father. This had to happen for him to take on the sin and the shame and the guilt and the punishment that we deserve. And so as he was thinking about all this, he was in so much agony that he was sweating drops of blood and begging God to find another way. He, he never rejected God's plan, but he said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's honestly asking if there's any other way. But he kept that attitude of being ready that God knows best. And so he said, yet not my will, but you as you will. And because of his willingness to follow through on this plan, he is resurrected to the highest place now. He's inviting us to join him and he, in, in relationship with him and with God, and um, we can be forgiven because of what he went through. And we can have new life. If you don't know how to pray, if you don't know Jesus, it's, it's talking to him in your head or in your, with your voice. You can ask him. Tell him you believe. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Please forgive me. My guilt and my sin and my shame... I give my life to you. Please lead me. And then he gives you new life. He empowers you with the Holy Spirit. If you do know Jesus, you do trust him, you do follow him, the invitation is to pray like Habakkuk and like Jesus. He praised God for who he was, for who he is. 
make their request. Continue in this attitude of prayer, of watchfulness, and readiness to obey and follow him even if we don't understand completely. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are our God, your protector. You are all these things that we read about in your revealed word. And we just praise you together this morning. We praise you in our hearts. We praise you because we acknowledge that you are God. And we rejoice in praising. I just pray that you would work in our hearts and help us to recognize the importance of being in your word, to understand who you are, the importance of praying as we read, the importance of hearing from you, being watchful and ready. Please do what you need to in our hearts to make us your faithful people. You are always faithful. Help us to be more and more faithful to you. Bless us as we continue to worship you with our voices right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.